0: Welcome, everybody, to Spoilers Ahoy. It's a year later, and we're talking about Limetown again.
1: Surprise, surprise.
0: So today's episode is going up a day late because we are under embargo as as journalists who got mm-hmm. access to screeners. Uh, so we have seen more of Limetown than you, a normal person in the normal world, have seen. Uh, we're not. That makes me sound like I'm 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 proud of that. Uh, I've seen more of Limetown, but uh, now we can legally talk about it.
1: So we'll be talking about episodes 1 through 4 primarily, yes. but then we're also definitely going to touch on 5 and 6, which we did have early access to, and we'll also, be coming out a week after this airs. Yes.
0: In uh, uh, Speaking of the words early access, this is just for you people listening to the Patreon early cut. As I mm-hmm. mentioned in a post on Patreon a couple of days ago, this early cut of the episode does not have any conversation about episodes 5 or 6 because... Right, embargo. Uh, that that is what's under embargo. So it will be in the public cut, but it will not be in this one. So that's why this episode might be a little short. <sighs> but
1: you you do get this.
0: Yeah, you uh, got uh
1: do something funny. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> is that <They're>, good? <laughs> I mean, they're that... definitely
0: they're definitely getting the cat babushka. Uh, good. Okay, rim. that'll. Work. <laughs> all right before we get started on this wonderful limetown adventure i want to take a quick moment to do some housekeeping uh i want to quickly thank the wonderful people who are supporting the show at the producer level on patreon at patreon.com forward slash gavin g quick thank you to alice and chelsea and gene you all are wonderful people keeping the the, making the show work uh dream work makes the team work all those platitudes but uh we actually mean
1: (laughs) i do love how to train your dragon (laughs)
0: so to start off i want to um i just listened to our limetown episode from a year ago and if you are thinking about listening to that i want to preface it by saying i was just getting over being sick uh when we recorded it i was super punchy like even like listening to it now i want to george lucas edit that episode because i swore a lot like an unreasonable amount and i was very um i was very raring to make bold statements and then my logic brain would kick in and i would walk them back i agree with some of the things i said in that episode but i was totally in sick mode <laughs> <laughs> so uh you'll probably hear me express most of the things i feel about limetown as a media empire empire huh as a media object, Franchise? object today object yeah so, Will, you need to tell the audience what your thoughts are in Limetown, because that's kind of the core why we're here.
1: Okay, are we so the show? The
0: podcast first. The
1: podcast.
0: Season one of the podcast.
1: Okay. All these caveats. <laughs> okay. Uh I Huh. So things have changed a little.
0: Yeah, because when you when we started this um you the last time you mentioned you just done your listen, ser- your re-listen series on mm-hmm. um, your website. Will Williams reviews?
1: Will Williams star reviews? There you go. It.
0: You you did your listen through series. You mentioned yeah. it was the thing that got you an audio drama. You yep. were so fucking stoked for Limetown when we recorded. <laughs>
1: uh, yeah, and you know <laughs> that first season I think is still phenomenal. There are looking back some things that I would change, mm-hmm. um, but I still think that's it's like one of the best first seasons of an audio drama i've ever heard mm-hmm. um i think a lot of it still really holds up
0: if only it was self-contained
1: If only. Oh God.
0: I, I, I really am worried it's gonna sound like this is me gleefully tearing into some aspects of Limetown. It's just like it's disappointing because there's all the like it's the same writers who are exe- They not only are they writing the TV show, they are executive, executive producers. Producing. And yeah. so is Jessica Beale, who is playing the main character. Like, this is the best, most optimal outcome for a podcast yes. adaptation or a fiction podcast adaptation. Like,
1: well, okay. So earlier this week, um, I was talking to Lauren Shippen for something.
0: <laughs> <and> <laughs> Name drop. <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad you're capable of talking to Lauren Shippen. I've been in the same. Uh, I've been at the same table as Lauren Shippen, and I'm still just like.
1: <clears throat> She's just really nice. She's very nice. <laughs> She's, she had a wonderful conversation
0: with Jordan about Ireland.
1: The the first few times I met her, I was very stressed out for sure. For sure. Um. So I was I was interviewing her for something and. We we were talking about how... Ooh, I don't know how to say any of this without it seeming like I am suggesting something. We were talking about adaptations as a whole. Mm-hmm. We were talking about adaptations through the lens of, like, you know, Lauren being somebody whose work is being adapted in different ways. Um, Whether yeah. it's through... Right. And we were talking about how often the best adaptations aren't the most faithful they're the ones that get the feeling right and that means that sometimes the best person to adapt those things is not the person who made the original now i want to just be very clear that lauren was not saying that about her own works yeah she is writing the novels based on her podcast the bright sessions and i do not know any of the details about uh the bright sessions being optioned for tv i don't know if that's if that could even be applied to what she said there, and I don't think that that's what that I don't think that's what she meant. Instead, I just mean she is somebody in podcasting who brought that up, and I think that it's very relevant to this.
0: For some reason, you reminded me that the black tapes didn't get picked up, and yeah, I, that made me sad again. Yeah,
1: <laughs> yeah, that's something that that I think could work really well in adaptation, but. So Gavin, what are your feelings on the first season of Limetown now?
0: The first season of the podcast
1: the podcast
0: I need to go back and re-listen I specifically want to go back and listen to Max because we' I'm, I'm, uh, that's something yeah, we're gonna okay. talk about later in this because we can only talk we're gonna like five and six are gonna be near the end mm-hmm. uh, Max and Napoleon were the two episodes that um, I still remember like distinctly mm-hmm. I remember I think one of the first times I really latched onto a piece of sound design on -hmm. t was um, the reverend who now knows Warren Chambers offering a drink to Leah and you hear like the sound of his flannel shirt rubbing when he offers the drink and there's like no plot reason for that. It was just that's how much effort was being put into the sound design. Mm -hmm. So I I really agree with you on the fact that like Limetown Season 1 as a package is just like really well Um, constructed. I think about it fondly. Yeah. Now that, now that I have had enough time and distance from it to sit here and think about the fact that Leah podcast Leah, and some of this is flanderization from just my memory, but Mm -hmm. like podcast Leah is not a great journalist. But we also kind of just have that narrative excuse of she is the vehicle moving us from character study to character study. Um, it is the format of the audio drama that is sort mm-hmm. of driving why she's like that.
1: Yeah, she is like, I think of her as very similar to like a Nick Carraway protagonist. Uh-huh.
0: Yeah, 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 yeah.
1: She is a, she's a narrator and she is a perspective and she does have like plot reasons to be involved, but she is not. The, the thing driving the plot or the thing driving the story. She's just there as like connective tissue and observation.
0: Television Leah Haddock, on the uh, other hand, uh-huh. Is the polar opposite in that she uh-huh. is the driving force behind everything.
1: Yes. Um so I think before <laughs> before we dive into discussion on like the content of of the Facebook Watch show, I think we should say like, do we like it, yes or no, and would we keep watching it after episode six, yes or no?
0: Okay, no qualifications, just yes or no.
1: Uh, yeah, I think so.
0: It's gonna it's gonna be tough. Yeah. Okay. Do we like it? Yes, no, and then one, two, three, go. Okay. Uh huh. Okay. One, two, three. Yes. yes. All oh, right.
1: Okay. Okay. <laughs> okay. Second one. One,
0: two, three. Yes. yes.
1: Okay, great. I will say that I I respect it and I appreciate it.
0: I have so many asterisks to those yes. Yes,
1: uh huh. I I respect it and I appreciate it more than I like it. So, <laughs> where do you're, we start with this, Gavin?
0: <laughs> to make a Facebook joke, your relationship with Lime Town is it's complicated.
1: <laughs> yeah, very much. I will say okay. I think that right off the bat, what makes me respect it and appreciate it is that it's, it really makes choices. Um, and this is, <laughs> go ahead.
0: No, no, I, it, it is a TV show that makes choices. Like I was, that was, yeah. that was a really we- weird phrasing. I, yes, it does. <laughs> like I agree with you on that.
1: Yeah, this is gonna sound like uh, criticism, but like, it makes some fucking buck wild Bold choices and it commits to them. Yeah. Yeah. Some of those are bad choices, like really bad. Some of those are great choices. And
0: I had, I had to yeah, cut 200 words about one of those bad choices. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah. But like, I, okay. So I am a person who loves shows like penny dreadful and the magicians both of which are very terrible shows but i like them because they're doing something you know like Mm -hmm. they they're garbagey and kind of trash but they're doing something interesting and they're like allowed to be kind of stupid and kind of weird like the magicians can just have musical montages for like no reason? Like, everyone is singing and it's diegetic? Like, okay, sure. Why not? Like, yeah. great. At least you're doing something interesting. Um, I think that I think that Limetown suffers from trying too hard to be too prestige TV.
0: Thank you for being the first one to say it and it wasn't me.
1: <laughs> yeah. I, th- I And I think that that's, like, one of its really glaringly obvious faults, is that it is trying very hard to sometimes make the bold choices, not because they're bold and interesting, but because they're, like...
0: They're things that will get you an Emmy.
1: Yeah, or they're, like, edgy, or they're memorable. Um, but, you know, maybe not asking in that moment, like, why? Like, wh- what is motivating this choice? But, I like that it's making those choices. Like, I would always prefer that to, a, like, a nothingy show that that does like very little and is fine.
0: You know. So let's I there's a, now, now that you're saying this, I had there's a specific choice that they make with Leah that I I think is a good one to start off with cuz it's one of the first things we see about her.
1: Oh god, yeah. <laughs>
0: Leah being gay or queer or like Leah it's being something. not straight. Uh-huh. That is not from the podcast, right? Um, is that is that inferred? Is that in the book like
1: It is in the book. Okay. It is it's canon in the book that she's the book see, the book doesn't use any labels but the book does seem to suggest that she is a lesbian. Okay. Um which is fascinating given th- things that the show is doing. Yeah,
0: her sexuality. I mean, I'm 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 going to talk about it and I want to I want to yeah. be perfectly clear that I'm going to say the p word here. And I'm going to actually follow it up later. How she engages with her sexuality is really fucking problematic.
1: Yes. Okay. So, and this is like a whole different debate. I think it's intentionally problematic. The
0: the, the fact that she is a lesbian is connected to the fact that she does the problematic thing? (laughs) Question mark?
1: I don't know. I don't.
0: Because if it's not, like, I want to give the show a cookie for, like, here's a lesbian re- relationship that's not, like, a big deal. Although it's Prestige TV, so it could also be, like, look how we're not making a big deal about a not-straight relationship. Like, it's 4D chess you're playing with this fucking TV show at this point.
1: Here, uh, So here is my read on it. And I could be very, very wrong. I read it as so you you phrased this either in a a chat or or your review or some such. where is your review up?
0: Gavin's review was not posted at the time of recording but has since been posted. See link in show notes no
1: okay where then you must have been in a chat where you said that she like literally gets off on invading someone's privacy Oh,
0: I sent you a screenshot of that part of my review it wasn't got it done. okay yeah, yeah. She's I think the phrase in the full the full review when it's up is now she is quite literally horny for violating people's privacy.
1: Yes. Yeah. I this is one of those things where I think that they made a choice and they didn't take the second step to think about how that interacted with the rest of her.
0: No, not at all.
1: So I would not say that it's connected to her being lesbian at all.
0: If anything, it's more connected to her flashbacks of being a kid because like. So uh, to to anyone who's curious about what we're talking about, in the first episode, uh, Leah kisses her next-door neighbor, in her apartment building and then like goes into the apartment implying that they fuck. But then it cuts to Leah later that night in her own apartment alone, going through audio from the day. And this is when the show makes a very important decision of saying she is always recording, even if her, it's not a zoom, it's another brand of recorder. But even when she's not holding a recorder, she's recording audio somehow because we get audio of her ordering a green tea at a coffee shop. And then it goes, it goes to the last file And the last file is the audio of that hookup. So when she was at the door, she was recording and she records this whole like sex Mm -hmm. session, but um, she starts masturbating and listening to the audio of the neighbor who did not know the recording was happening. Mm -hmm. And then she starts looping this one bit of audio where she breathily says, don't hide your birthmark. I like it. And loops that over and over and over. And then in episode three, this is the first time Leah and Mark Green, the producer that's foisted upon her because she sucks at her job.
1: Mm-hmm. Mark
0: is asleep in a hotel. They're in a hotel with two single beds, which is not a thing that exists anymore. No. They're in a hotel with two single beds that face each other. Um, she takes out her recorder, puts plugs her, earbut- her earphones in, puts the recorder by his mouth so she can hear him breathing, and then gets in bed with the light on and stares at him and masturbates lying on her stomach. And like his, his breath is raised in the mix so that it's all you can hear is the viewer and sound and we're going to come to this as a positive in a second i think because the sound editing and this is fucking brilliant but um like both of the times she gets off on camera are intrinsically linked to her hearing audio that she is not supposed to hear
1: mm-hmm. or
0: have and that means we have a we have a character whose only expression of her sexuality outside of kissing the neighbor is this thing that will be labeled as a perversion in a lot of uh, reviews and blogs and stuff.
1: Mm, mm -hmm. That's true, that's true.
0: And this might be reductive on my part, but it feels like edgy prestige television crap.
1: Oh, yeah. Like in
0: in Game of Thrones, every now and then, whenever a character becomes too likable, they have them commit an atrocity or Mm -hmm. if a character is too evil they'll have them save a kitten out of a fucking tree like it was that that show got so one way or the other about things Mm -hmm. and leah's i feel like they want leah to have this downfall uh Mm -hmm. i think we're it feels like we're setting up leah to be like you near the end or like she'll go to any lengths and we'll talk about five and six later but Mm -hmm. In episode one, even, like, she's violating people's privacy.
1: And this is also... As a reporter. (laughs) Yeah. This is where some of my, like, biggest suspension of disbelief is just busted. So, in the podcast, Leah is a journalist with, um, like, a broadcast journalism station. And we know that she's obsessed with Limetown. But it really comes across, like, kind of chill like kind of like uh a curiosity and something that she's just wanted to do a story on
0: she she doesn't have like she hasn't pitched it it's more of like a thing she's doing
1: right and then as the story develops that's when she starts getting really obsessed because she's like wait what the fuck is going on here she gets a lead and it goes right like it was it was totally believable that she could have just stumbled upon a story way bigger than she expected and therefore became obsessed. This Leah Haddock in the show starts off absolutely obsessed to and, like you said, totally unethical, to the point where I do not for a second believe that Leah Haddock in the show ever, ever could have had a job at a broadcast journalism station.
0: Especially at one called APR, American Public Radio, Public Radio. which is specifically right. an NPR clone. Like even yeah, down to just, the logos the same, they just change colors.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
0: Like And she's she she's been working on this Limetown piece that did not have a new lead. It has to be st- it, we really have to stress that point, because I wrote that down when I watched right. it because I couldn't believe it. She knows the basics that you hear in the beginning about well, in two thousand four Limetown, the guards were locked or the, the gates were locked and it was guarded by a private military organization and when they left, the town was empty. How did three hundred twenty six people disappear? The news forgot about it, and here we are now. It took her eight months, which is one month over her deadline to get that
1: yeah exactly, and I just like, can you imagine her doing a piece on literally anything else? Because she doesn't have any personhood outside of Limetown. Like, no. Like, when they try to give her some character development, um, she has, like, this little monologue about her dad or some shit. And I didn't buy that. And then later on in episode...
0: That, that, remember that fucking monologue she gives the FBI dude or the journalist where, like, she calls them up. And they're like, Leah, what is it? And she just goes on this long ass monologue, yeah, about death. And then the guy just agrees to an interview.
1: <laughs> right. It's it's very confusing. <laughs> it's very confusing. Um, I wish that they would have kept Leah as like a really. It's like kind of a simple character with like a little bit of moxie and like
0: a little bright eyed journalist. Yeah, she's ready. To, but then you can't, you can't have like gritty. You can't, right. you don't win best drama at the end. Em- That's the other thing is I, the cynic in me. And I hate to bring this up so early, but the cynic in me says Facebook watch is trying to push the boat out and be like, Hey, we're making real drama. Mm-hmm. So they need a mm-hmm. West world. They need an They need an HBO show Thing. So the cynic in me says, what if Beal or one of the Limetown people specifically said, we can make this more adult. We can make it more mm-hmm. Breaking Bad in a way. So Leah, Leah has to be an anti-hero or has to be an air quotes complicated character.
1: And I think that sometimes that can succeed. Like, I, I would have been okay with Leah being way more complicated way more of an anti-hero if it was balanced with
0: if she was any like an Alex Jones type if she like, had if she had like a shitty conspiracy website about limetown but then exactly. lands the story right
1: this this is what it comes down to why does she still if they're having her be this bad of a journalist. Why does she still work for a broadcast news station? Why doesn't she? Why doesn't she just have an independent podcast that got huge? Why is she not just like a my favorite murder kind of person? Like, yeah, that would make it, so much more sense. Why <laughs> it doesn't make she so much have more sense. the
0: limetown podcast? Like, yeah,
1: yes, it yes, and that's right. Or like, like, hey, if we're already going to be in a visual me- medium, have her be like a YouTuber. Like, yes. Like, there's so many... It doesn't make sense for her to be an actual journalist. The fact that she's recording people without their consent is literally illegal. Like...
0: <laughs> we'll, we'll, bring, we'll, we'll talk about how there's something to do with how she has her job in the episode five and six part of the discussion. Um, oh, God. So, episode one, we see Limetown when it, in 2003, when it opened. Yeah. Number one, um, in our original episode on Limetown season two... You talked about how you were wondering what the hell is the deal with the journalist who gets to be at Limetown? Yeah. do Has anything happened regarding him? Like, did no. season two mention him at all? No. no. It's almost he's like he's has gone. Not, uh, so my claim of he's probably not important.
1: <laughs> yeah, you were totally right.
0: Actually, I didn't claim that. I, th- I think I wanted to say it, but I was like, yeah, maybe. Um, <laughs> you were right, though. I I love that. the This is one thing I, I just, without any qualifications or anything i love that the show is very cyclical in that it keeps coming back to we are in a dream like we keep coming back to oscar totem speech and we keep seeing it from a slightly different camera angle and now you can see that there's another actor oh yeah like you see that um winona's there and then uh uh, you see winona with her daughter and without her daughter Mm mm-hmm uh, oh, that's the other thing. Uh, when we get to Winona in episode two, that there's that bit where Winona has moved into Linetown and the Stanley Tucci and what's her name come up and talk to them about welcome to Linetown, blah 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 blah. And the camera cuts to Winona, and then and then pans left to her arm, and it's focused in the in the midground, but there's nothing there, so you just see blurry house. And it's a weird shot. Mm-hmm. And I was like, there's someone who's supposed to... Because I would forgot that Winona, like, I forgot SLVA. I forgot about mm-hmm. Sylvia. So I'm like, that's... There's someone who's supposed to be standing there. And then, like, it clicked in my head, like, ah, the fucking daughter. And then the show does the thing of, like, cutting back to show you that same shot, but with the kid in it. Mm-hmm. And I, like, that is how you visually yeah. do SLVA. Like, that... Like yeah. that. That was so fun.
1: Yeah, that's the thing is like, for all these choices that are fucking bad, mostly about Leah, Yeah. when they make choices and they're good, they're fucking good. The, they're the, fucking good. The
0: character, sh- the character studies that made the podcast are mm-hmm. still the best parts Solid. of the show.
1: Solid as hell.
0: Can we talk about, I, or, sorry.
1: I was going to say, I think that all of the moments that are flashbacks to Limetown are fantastic.
0: Oscar Totem's speech is great.
1: Yep. Um, all of, all of the scenes. Okay. Well, (laughs) do you, do you want to bring up the sketch now?
0: (laughs) Okay. So stupid. (laughs) So Winona is, does Winona talk about this, the drawing in the podcast? So that is Winona. So Winona describes being a janitor and late at night, she can see that there's these two rooms right next to each other. There's a person sitting in one seat and the man we're all here for is sitting in another seat and it's cleverly framed. So you can't see it spoiler for anyone who hasn't listened to Limetown season one, it's Stanley Tucci. So it's yeah. framed so you can't see that it's Stanley Tucci, you just see this like an older man. Um and it's about it and the thing is like night after night he never drew anything, but then one night they drew the exact same thing, the exact same time, mistakes and all. So she lines up she she takes the two drawings down and she stands back out in the hallway, lines up the two drawings, and then it cuts back to the room that Stanley Tucci was in but left. And it does this long hold and the music swells and you know a jump scare is coming because of course it is. Yeah. And it just holds there and then Stanley Tucci's hand comes out of nowhere and holds up a piece of paper against the window and it's this it's meant to be a spooky drawing of a face yeah but it's one of those spooky drawings where like if i put it on twitter people would be like that's a mood and then make it their profile picture and be like yeah. and be like <laughs> spoopy boy just stumped his toe like it's one of those yeah. scary faces where if the second after you see it you're like ah that's not really
1: it's nothing it's nothing it's absolutely nothing and it like, never <laughs> com-
0: why why did emil do that because this is at the same time when yeah. Nona was giving the speech about, he was in my head. I heard him say this thing and he wasn't even in the room. He told right. me to forget what I saw and leave. And then he right. holds up a spooky face drawing against the window. <laughs> right. like From a thematic, th- that makes thematically, that, that does nothing. It does not add anything uh-huh. to the Limetown lore. Not from a, a, thing. a From a mechanical standpoint, mm-hmm. Emile Haddock... Showing a spooky drawing to a janitor.
1: Nothing. That's nothing. nothing. It's nothing.
0: I'm not be. I, I really want to stress, I'm not being cinema sins about this.
1: No, but it's just nothing. There's it's like, no, it's so no fucking reason.
0: It's someone somewhere went, we need a jump scare here.
1: Yeah. That's it. Yep. Yep. Yeah. Uh, it, it like... <laughs> a lot... A lot of the show... A lot of my issues with the show can be boiled down... To the very like, uh, like parody of a screenwriter or actor phrase of just, so what's this character's motivation? (laughs) You know, but like it's so accurate for the show. Like I watch and I'm like, so I know that that happened. How come? (laughs) Why did it happen?
0: I've been. Oh, go ahead. There's one moment I want to highlight because it's like it's a nothing moment. When Emil goes to say to to say he's sorry to um, Warren Chambers when he's moving in, mm-hmm. and he stumbles and he like starts just being like I I I, I don't I, I don't know what I'm supposed to say, but like like Stan of course Stanley Tucci, of course he fucking delivers it and he's a boss, yeah, he but like it. Yeah. he kills it, but like that scene, it's weird, it's weird and emotional and like. Welcome Real. to
1: your new house. Sorry, dead wife.
0: Oh. Yeah. And it's <laughs> and it's in the scene where like the literally the there's a one box, one cardboard box of Warren's stuff and it's got the picture of his wife and then the movers help him bring in his comfortable chair. Mm-hmm. And um oh by the way one of my favorite things is they only built one house set and they use that exact same house set for everybody the only thing that changes is their personal belongings and and everyone except warren doesn't have personal belongings outside of boxes his chair is what makes his house his, is mm-hmm. um and when he sits in that chair all he does is look at napoleon or his wife mm-hmm I just, visually, I really love that they made Limetown that cookie cutter, that all the houses are identical. It's a budget thing. From the perspective of the show, it's a budget thing. They couldn't afford to build more house sets, but also thematically...
1: But it doesn't matter. It works so well. It's the opposite of that
0: fucking drawing, because thematically, it works perfectly.
1: Exactly. Exactly. Should we... I think that we should talk about Warren Chambers, and in that, the things that work really well.
0: This... There's one thing in Warren Chambers whole section that does not work and it's the one shot of the pig puppet it looks so bad yeah that two shot of oscar talking to him in the house yeah where the pig is like staring intently and nodding in the bottom left of frame and you can te- I thought it was CGI the cynic in me said they spent $80,000 to put a computer pig there because someone went you can't see Napoleon in that shot turns out I went on IMDB there's someone yeah, credited as pig puppeteer
1: yep that was not
0: necessary
1: it was not necessary that but was that's money like- wasted but that is such a small thing to have wrong in an episode...
0: About a guy who talks to a pig.
1: Right. Like, an episode that's uh, frankly ridiculous in concept, but is so... Like, I was I was so moved by the episode. I was so moved. Ugh.
0: When Napoleon's on the table and they first turn on the implant and he starts laughing and crying and he says, he's hungry, I'm hungry too. That was such a... That one scene... I guess this one whole episode as a package is worth the problems of Limetown. Yep. If you already like the podcast, if you have no yep. prior connection to the podcast, it might be, you might like the show more. You might have prob- like it's a, it's a bit of a question mark. Cause I don't know. Mm-hmm. I don't know how to sell it to you other than it's fun, prestige TV that has some weird shit in it. Um, and I'm also spoiling all of it here for you right here, right now. Yeah. But if you've listened <laughs> to Limetown before, this is how, one should do Napoleon. Like, I, I think that scene is John Beasley delivers so fucking hard.
1: He's phenomenal. I was so worried that because that performance, like I, I love the Max Finlayson performance in the podcast. I think that it's stunning, Yeah, but the performance in the podcast for Warren chambers is just fucking next level. Like it's so tender. It's so loving And it's so earnest. And I was really worried that they wouldn't be able to pull that off. And not only do they pull that off, they like expand on the story. You know, they have the physicality and it works like it's beautiful. He did such an amazing job. Amazing.
0: Beasley, like uh, even when um, we get to the point of Leah saying three days later, he was killed. He was struck and killed by a drunk driver. Mm -hmm. that that shot of him walking down the road. Yeah. And he knows and he just he just he like looks up and he looks sad. And he just and he's like ready to be hit by this car. Like he knows what's happening.
1: It's the exact same thing as when he killed Napoleon. Yeah. It's the exact and that like that parallelism is perfect. It's so good.
0: It adds so much more than three days later. He was struck and killed by a drunk driver. I am of the opinion that he was killed. Right. Especially since there's this whole thing about him preaching death, which leads me to let's go back an episode because we had you had a differing opinion of me at the moment. And now that I have had some time, I agree. Let's talk about Rake. Um, So. Yeah. So instead of going from Winona to the Reverend.
1: Which is how it is in the podcast.
0: Winona gives the most 1960s Batman the Riddler ass clue. (laughs) yes to how to get to the next limetown survivor and i on paper i do enjoy this idea of leah gets a, a lead and becomes so obsessed with it she is in front of a limetown survivor but at but because she is not thinking straight she asks really vague weird questions of the wrong person and basically basically gets duped into an interview with someone who doesn't matter We are talking about a scene in Rake where they go to the house of Lindsay Frost. Lindsay Frost is played by French Stewart. Mm -hmm. For those of you who don't know, French Stewart is, you might recognize him from the 1990s sitcom Third Rock from the Sun, Uh about four aliens from another planet who are given human disguises. And told to live normal lives on Earth and report back about what humans are like.
1: It's a very good sitcom.
0: It's a very good sitcom. It's, jo- it's Joseph Gordon-Levitt's, like, first big gig. He plays, like, he's the oldest of them, but he he's given the teenager uh, of the four fa- people in this family together. So he has to be treated like a kid. And French Stewart is, like, the wacky wild card. He's supposed to be, like, the Kramer of this sitcom. Like, mm-hmm. French Stewart, is, he always has his lips pursed and his eyes squinted and his, his uh, he does a lot he was in Beverly Hills Chihuahua 2 according to his IMDB his other thing that I remember him from is he is who they decided to replace uh, Matthew Broderick Ma- Matthew mm-hmm. Broderick played Inspector Gadget and then when they wanted to make a direct to video sequel they got French Stewart to play Inspector Gadget <laughs> and then Limetown I literally emailed the PR person because the credits weren't done on the screener we were given. I emailed the PR person to double check that it was French Stewart, because if it was, I was going to dedicate a whole fucking paragraph of my review to it. His performance is in a hospital bed. He moves his hands once. Mm-hmm. He is affecting this voice that is very gravelly and broken. Mm-hmm. And he tells this story about how he he's accused of killing these... he He's accused of setting a barn on fire that had three girls in it, and they died, and he was accused of murder. And Leah says, imperfect Leah, TV-ness, respectfully, I don't care. And he goes, but I did murder them. And he tells this story about coming upon this barn on fire, and an instinct tells him to just hold the door shut, and he watches these girls burn to death through the cracks, and it's this very, like... It feels like a short story you would read in an English class in, yes. in which someone yes. is like, this is a very good and a very haunting short story.
1: It, it feels like an Ambrose Bierce yeah, story, it, like uh, like the guy who wrote An Occurrence at Owl Creek Bridge. Like,
0: a, As you mentioned, this has nothing to do with my Town.
1: Yeah, see, that's, that's the problem. It,
0: it is a phenomenal performance that has... It's so good. F- it is a waste of time
1: it's such a waste of time and it sucks because like like you're saying his performance was amazing. The writing is pretty impeccable.
0: This is French Stewart's real.
1: Yeah. But like what the fuck? Like <laughs> what? What and and the reason it happens plot-wise like from a writing perspective the reason that it happens is because he's a red herring she thinks that he is a survivor of limetown not the priest who is warren chambers so the whole thing is to set up his story as a red herring and in it there's like there's like some discussion of like you know i don't know obsession or empathy or some shit what yeah kind of like it kind of relates back to leah as a character but like why not just take the time to fucking develop Leah as, like, a character and a real human person?
0: He finishes the story, and then he tells... God, it's such a fucking good scene, because, like... It
1: is. It really is.
0: He's He said... what What's the line? I fucking... I wrote it down the other day. He says, I learned something about myself that day. And Leah says, isn't that a selfish conclusion to have for murdering three girls? And he goes, yes, but I learned something about myself. I learned... Where the line is. Mm-hmm. You always wonder how far you you'll go. Right. I never had to wonder that. And then he looks at uh, Chambers and says, I'm sorry, Reverend. I needed to tell someone else besides God. And then his like persona changes And Mm -hmm. he looks sad and he says, I'm ready. So the Reverend gets up and injects something into his IV and then he chokes to death. It's Mm -hmm. not a it's not a morphine thing where he like falls asleep and doesn't wake up. Mm -mm. There's like they specifically don't show him again. Like the shots never show Stuart in the bed, which I really love. But you hear him like like having a hard time Mm -hmm. breathing. And it's a fucked up scene. Like the point the point from then on is Leah and Mark are traumatized because they just had to watch a man die
1: mm-hmm but but also that
0: also feels like they just didn't know how to finish the scene because leah's like now tell me about limetown and he's like i'm sorry what are you talking
1: about oh, right and like it furthers the fact that leah's the worst fucking journalist in the universe <laughs> somebody just fucking confessed to you and you have a recording and you don't care about that why are you such a bad journalist i'm so mad about what a bad journalist she is
0: also there's from like her-
1: so yeah, from a mechanical
0: standpoint, Winona says she gives this vague thing that can. She says the guy in Rake that killed three people or whatever, and she and a brilliant journalist who can Google Leah Haddock finds out that the only oh triple, God. the only supposed triple yes. homicide ever in Rake is the the three girls. So it must be him. <laughs> Um, and she literally, she, she literally yeah. goes into a drink and draw and is like, hey, where's the guy who burned three girls to death? And everyone in there is just like, I don't fucking know.
1: Well, no, 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 no. Everyone is like, oh, you know, our local recent <laughs> trauma. We don't want to talk for coming about in... that. Right. Thanks for coming into our like fun, you know, d- drink and, and draw. Like, th- thanks for coming into our like fun little activity that of levity and good times to talk about my dead Daughters, Th- what the
0: fuck? Thanks, Leah Haddock, for fucking up wind down Wednesdays. What yeah. the shit?
1: Yeah, and then and Leah's like, "Well, I don't know why everybody's being an asshole to me," and I'm like, What, what is wrong with you?" And then it like, jump
0: it jump cuts to Mark Green having already gotten the info by tastefully walking up to a, I think like a priest yeah. or something and asking, "Yeah, why does that mechanically? Why the fucking goose chase that yeah. does not link to?" Reverend yeah. Chambers like no, yeah nope uh-uh. and the, we're nope. not are we theorizing that there is someone from Ly- like Emile or somebody is remote controlling Winona to make her say that so that so <laughs> that force of nature Leah will go find French Stewart before he dies of colon cancer and before he has himself uh euthanized <laughs> and if she shows up too late and he is dead she will never encounter uh, right. Warren Chambers Warren Chambers giving that lecture or not lecture fucking god sermon in the tent with all the people in wheelchairs and people with IV stands and shit and him preaching the the, the gospel of death like yeah. everything about Warren Chambers I love I even love yeah, that, that scene he
1: was really good I
0: love that he's administering he's euthanizing people against yeah. the law like that's what was Hell yeah. What was the thing he was doing in he was like buying blood on the black market yes. in the podcast he- yeah. That's a fun way to, like, make that more visual and make it more deaf.
1: Yes, for sure.
0: And it's also something illegal.
1: Right. Right. Like, like every, everything about the Warren Chamber scenes was just so good. Like, that scene with the tent, it it looked exactly like it looked when I listened to the podcast. But more than that, like, it had such a great sense of texture. Had a little
0: it, bit of a Big Fish vibe. Like,
1: yeah, absolutely, which I think it needed to. Um, it was stunning, it was stunning. and it just... But it makes me mad that that care, that and it's so obviously there, like there's so much love in those scenes that is not carried to Leah Haddock herself. No, which is frustrating because she's the fucking protagonist.
0: How do they end up at that tent?
1: bruh I don't know. They man. end up in that
0: tent because Leah is asleep at like seven p.m. Because he goes like, "There's going to be a service tonight. Oh, Come yeah. if you're interested." She goes to she has a little nap at like six p.m. and Mark comes and wakes her up at like seven or eight and says, "You need to see this." And then from a logical standpoint, Mark went to the the thing the sermon, uh-huh. saw that there was all these people there, uh-huh. drove back woke Uh her up and said you need to see this didn't tell her again this is very cinema since like why didn't you just tell her what it was no but like Like,
1: it's but these are like actual things that are wrong with the thing why can't
0: why can't it just be like how about this make her fucking journalist and i'm gonna go get audio of this sermon so i can at least make a package out of this it's not limetown yeah but i can sell this
1: but it's something we didn't
0: waste a journey
1: And the reason that when it comes to things like this, you kind of have to nitpick the logistics is because when you're working with something that has a huge, a huge concept that requires a lot of buy-in, like, it's like creative writing 101, that if you have something that takes a ton of suspension of disbelief, all of the small things are what have to be believable. And if the small things can be broken, the whole thing comes crumbling down. And the problem is in all of the small things. Like, it's in all of those little details that don't make any sense.
0: Because all their effort's being put in place is like the sound design. Uh, now, I will say there's a few bits of dialogue editing that if you're listening with headphones, yeah. you can totally tell when they adr yard in another yes. take. And that's just, I mean, that's, that, that's that TV. Happens. It's going right. to happen. It's not a big deal. But... Um, tones are a big I, I'm trying not to spoil anything okay so uh, Max in the podcast mm-hmm. talks about how the way and they, they do mention this it sounds like they say it kind of offhand with uh, Napoleon that it sounds like music in the podcast Max talks about how the way the implant works is it has tones uh, mm-hmm. it translates emotions into tones so like a B flat is this and Will you mentioned in our last episode a year ago that you charted out all the emotions mm-hmm. in what tones they are. Yep. Um, and you got them all in the first try. Good on you. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Still got it. <laughs> so in the show the way the composers do uh, incidental music in the scenes is they use, they have these like melodies and they have these specific tones that go with specific emotions and they only use those at certain times. And it's mm-hmm. very effective. Also, yes. there is a heavy use of Surround sound, or at least in this case, while I was wearing headphones, they were using a lot of 3D sound. And whenever scenes are supposed to be unsettling, they start they take. I'm just going to make up a number. They take like 40% of the mix and yo-yo it between left and right channel. And it just mm-hmm. keeps going back, center, for- left, center, right, center, left, mm-hmm. center, right. And it just keeps going back and forth. And if you have headphones on or you're listening in surround sound, I would assume, you, it, it, you get this uneasy feeling of like, what the fuck is happening? But it's a choice I respect and it pays off so fucking well. Let's see. I mentioned the music's good. We've mentioned the scary photo. We've mentioned Stanley Tucci being a goddamn legend. Mm-hmm. Uh, I like the I like the flashbacks to young Leah. Yeah, they're fine. The actor for young Leah is very good. very good. Um, all this stuff about her dad tried to kill himself. I
1: don't know. I don't care.
0: The <laughs> and her relationship <laughs> with her mom.
1: Yeah. So some of that some of that goes back to the novel
0: hey you know what makes me not give a shit uh when you can have to say it's in the book
1: (laughs) yeah pretty much um i'll
0: I'll excuse a podcast for that but not a tv show like
1: yeah well i think it will come up later in the tv show likely
0: actually does because we we can talk about five and six here in a minute
1: (laughs) yeah um why don't we do closing thoughts on one through four, and then skip off to five and six?
0: Napoleon's really fucking good. I re- oh, so good. I really enjoy. Uh, the, I really enjoy French Stewart's performance, even if it yes. is superfluous. Yes. I kind of liked Leah's boss, but that's only because Leah. It she's the only person who tells Leah no. <laughs> yeah. Leah's neighbor was okay for a hot yeah. second but like there's there's some
1: cinematography that i think is neat
0: oh yeah the, um, sh- the show like especially when it's in limetown during oh a limetown i didn't bring this up i think they did a really good job of making limetown look like it's been abandoned and then they did a really good job of aging it
1: i'm not wild about it but it's because that's like one of the things that i had such a strong vision of oh, yeah. i would have greatly preferred if they wouldn't have gone with the grayscale. I'm so fucking sick of Prestige oh. TV having such a hard-on for grayscale. Gotcha. I would have much preferred a limetown that looked like absolute candy back in the day. You know, like it kind of did
0: like I didn't I didn't sell as candy, but it had kind of a pushing daisy feel.
1: The houses are gray.
0: The houses are gray.
1: The houses are great. I'm thinking
0: more about daddios and
1: see daddios was great. But like the houses, I wanted them to be like cute and multicolored. I wanted I wanted more color. And then like in future, like I guess present day Limetown, I wanted it to be dilapidated in the same way that like the early scenes of Spirited Away is. Yeah. You know, where you yeah. Yeah, where you have that like that that growth over it and because it's been over a decade right but i think it's so much creepier and so much more fucked up when that's put against those like utopian candy colors that's so much more visually interesting to me than the fucking grayscale but otherwise i i liked cinematography
0: i i agree with you now like thinking back on it i think i was more focused on the fact that all the like we, inside of Daddio's and the inside of um, the store that doesn't have a name, everything yep. is, like, perfect. Because it's move-in day, so, yes. like, every single yes. bottle on the supplement shelf that you can see is perfectly ordered, and they're not yes. overstocked. They have just enough stock on the shelves. Uh, everything's And the, everything's the attention new. to
1: detail with Daddy's is really, really, really great. Which, um, which is
0: weird, because, like, it's just one sh- You get one shot inside of that bar of the SWAT mm-hmm. people walking by. Um,
1: mm-hmm. Do we talk about five and six? So let's
0: talk about five and six. Um in episode five. Five is the um sh- the, the, the the decontamination is thing.
1: Yeah, it's where she's talking to uh the, the guy that, Villard? um Yeah RB Villard.
0: So RB Villard is in
1: the podcast? So he's mentioned and then he's like never brought up again, which was always a huge question for me because I was like, hey, what the fuck? Like, he's still alive. We should be talking to him? But He just never comes back up, so I'm really glad he was brought back up on the show.
0: Hang on, I'm trying to look at the name of the scientist. There's a scientist I I watched a documentary on. There's a scientist who, like, wants to take all of his dad's notes and shit and feed them into an AI to make, like, a a computer copy of his dad.
1: Terrifying. And he
0: also, like, um, he takes, like, 50 supplements a day because... He wants to like live forever, some shit. And I got, I got a, str- I got a strong vibe from Arby Villar that they use this guy as inspiration. Mm-hmm. Um, are you ever,
1: are you ever embarrassed on just behalf of like men?
0: Yeah, no, that. That's- <laughs> you know the thing that made it that switched it from being like fun character quirk to just embarrassing was the fact that he has future cups for future glasses for everything they look like fucking the timers from Yahtzee but he's drinking smoothies and you only drink out of the top half and the bottom half is just like there. No, it's nothing because if you use the top half and you turn it over, goop's gonna fucking come out. So it, right. it's pointless. And then he take he he takes a pill out of a smaller one later.
1: I know, Gavin. Why was he shirtless? Why why was he shirtless? <laughs>
0: because uh, uh, Hiro Kanagawa is fucking ripped, and you need to see.
1: <laughs> okay, that's true. But I have Google for that. Like.
0: I want to say props to him for being so fucking in shape. He looks great. Um, yeah. Also, also, like he
1: is fucking ripped.
0: He does sell like this immortalist owner oh, yeah. CEO thing well. Uh, oh, he, he
1: totally sells it. Like when because he, actually...
0: he says some bonkers will. He says the Yo, stupidest yeah. shit in this show. He's yes. wh- what's the threat line about? I will answer your questions and then I will talk to nobody else. For the rest of my life, or until I stop living and I don't intend to.
1: Yeah. <laughs> what the but fuck like, is that line? It, but he fucking sells it. I was like, oh shit, he means it. And I think that's because I think in part it's because the show that the show knows that what he's saying is stupid and bonkers. Uh-huh. And and he also gets that. But like he he just yeah, he does a fucking good job. I was really impressed.
0: Hey, uh, like, I'll- Hey, shout out Facebook uh, and anyone who wrote the copy. I'm looking at the IMDB. They mentioned Limetown's a neuroscience research facility in the fucking synopsis for the show. <sighs> that takes away half the goddamn mystery of Limetown right there. It sure does. We got to talk um, about the decompression chamber real quick. I know, this is, yes. I'm, I know I'm harping on this. I know I've been texting this well, to you. So no, the logo like, for Limetown, yeah. the, the poster for Limetown, is Leah Haddock nude looking up in blue light in a decompression chamber or in a decontamination yep. chamber. The frame that's the preview frame on the trailer is her hair being blown around while she's naked. Mm-hmm. You get a full body shot of Jessica Beale in bra and panties. Yep. This, the only narrative reason that makes sense to me about this scene where she goes into a shed and takes an elevator down into a secret decontamination chamber and is told to put her belongings in a drawer and then put her clothes in the other drawer and no, put all your clothes in the other drawer and then is shot with air and she's allowed to put on a jumpsuit is that Leah's going to do anything for the story mm-hmm. if that's the case. They specifically show her put the recorder in the drawer with the bag mm-hmm. and it shows this menacing shot of while her back's turned the drawer shuts and now she doesn't have a recorder but mm-hmm. then RB Villard hands her the goddamn recorder right. in the next shot with the earbuds plugged in for her which they weren't but that's a uh-huh. can- that's just me being picky why did that scene exist then? because it yeah. that was like a, a setup for oh shit he's gonna tell her all this stuff but she's not gonna have a recording
1: Right. Like, it really, it really came across as a moment that would be like, you know, she would come back to her station saying all these things and her boss would be like, what the fuck are you, like, you have no proof.
0: Or like, she has to do it again to leave and when it disappears that time, the SD card's gone. And, and because she's recording everything with her secret recorders, she got it anyway.
1: Yeah. Or like, you know, she has to, she realizes as she's leaving, like, oh shit, like my tape wasn't in like nothing was actually recording, but then he's already locked up because he already said, you know, never, she's it, like that's it, yeah, right. But no, it's just, I will say though, like, otherwise, I kind of liked episode five.
0: <laughs> oh, especially the mom scene,
1: yeah. The mom scene was good, the mom scene was good. I liked RB Villard. I, I, again, I totally bought the performance, I thought that he was ridiculous, but in a way that I enjoyed. He was a fun Um, character
0: study that I didn't expect because Yes. Much like French Stewart, he's not really a character who's present in the podcast.
1: But unlike French Stewart, I think (laughs) that him I think that like him talking about it adds a lot because that was one of the big questions I had from listening to the podcast. It was like, what the fuck is up with this guy? It didn't make sense that he wouldn't be talked to somehow. And I like that we got that here and I like that we got why he would invest this money, you know? Yeah. Um, I like, I totally bought by the end of the episode that he would have sunk billions of dollars into Limetown for a fucking crazy idea. Like-
0: I had this dream. I was walking through my hometown and we were all smiling and talking to each other without talking. And then I woke up and I wrote a check to Oscar Totem for $14 billion. Like that- Right. That is, that sells me on like, th- yeah. that's how he got the money. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. This episode exists narratively so that she can take the tape. Of him saying it's something along the lines of Lime Town wouldn't have existed without Oscar or without Max. And then we get the final scene of the episode with her in Pro Tools, I think. I think that's what Pro Tools looks like. Or Um, or maybe it's just a fictional Daw that doesn't really exist. She's editing. uh, By the way, she edits on a MacBook, but it projects to this like 60 inch monitor as a set as a duplicate monitor to her right. What is that? That only exists so that you, the viewer, can why can't her computer just be that monitor?
1: Why don't yeah, why yeah, wh- why 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 don't we just have a shot of a regular asthma?
0: Because cinematographically it looks better to have her looking at the MacBook and then in a three-quarter profile and then you have the thing in the whatever the fuck I'm But
1: then also like this is supposed to be the Limetown version of NPR? Do you think NPR has that kind of money? Like
0: <laughs> Point is she has she has audio of Villard saying it's Ma- Max is the reason Limetown It happened, but then she Mm -hmm. edits it to say oscar totem by taking a single sample of villard saying oscar totem and duplicating it so that it plays twice in the same sentence so he says uh limetown would have been a thing without oscar totem the thing that only mattered to oscar totem was his ego or some shit like that i forgot Mm -hmm. this i forgot the line but like you can hear as the viewer mm-hmm. that it is obviously the exact same instance of him saying Oscar Totem twice. Yes. His yes. that would never in a million years work. You could hide that. There are editing ways to hide that. But in the show, she publishes on airwaves. I really think Oscar Totem is really Oscar Totem. Like it's yeah, <laughs> it doesn't sound right. So the idea and is then, it's a bait, right? She's trying to get, right. she's trying to pit. How does she know? Cause, well. Okay, so yeah. Villard, Villard does say Max has a huge ego, so she does that to piss off Max, so that How he'll does she know he's gonna hear it, though? How indeed, Will?
1: How does she know he's like even alive and like
0: <sighs> them? Because yeah. because it's like because it's a TV show like that. That's, yes, you get hand wave it. That is the moment I was texting you about. Yeah. Where. Will or where uh, she's just gone. Like, yeah, that's it. Like, that. Th- th- I, I this is going to sound like two journalists are mad that a journalist is bad in TV shows. But like, as a character, uh, but- as a character, she just threw away any credence her story has. Because if that gets right. out, it, like, as as Mark rightfully brings up, that's fucking it. We are done. So APR is fucked and there is the only thing they can do is throw Leah under the bus and he's not going to have her back as he should not
1: I mean okay so in fairness I I lost all likability for her as a character when she recorded Mark breathing and then oh, yeah. masturbated while he was in the room looking at his face she, looking at his face on. yeah Uh. so at that point I was like oh I'm done so with her as a character like ain't no recovering from that one um, but even e- like you're saying, like yes, we are two journalists talking about like journalism bad in show. Literally anybody who has uh, thinking, it can see that. No, oh, like <laughs> also
0: the blackmail of the oh, boss. Yeah, this oh, is God. this is the thing that I texted you about that I couldn't make yes. it six minutes into the episode episode five or episode six, whichever one and it's in, without losing any chance of liking Leah ever again. And it's the fact that her boss is like, hey, you've got audio of Warren Chambers saying that R.B. Villard was there at Town. Mm-hmm. It, it it contradicts what he said. It, it makes him, uh, it says he, per. It, may, it proves that he committed perjury in a congressional hearing. This is huge, but we need to sit on the story for a little bit because it's getting real hot. Mm -hmm. now some people would be like oh that's what nbc did with the weinstein story but a little but she there it is it is apr she's Mm -hmm. very much correct um Mm -hmm. but because we're living in fantasy world where anything leah haddock hits fucking publish on gets millions of downloads and gets on every tv station in the world at the same time she says i know i if you fire me or if you hold this story i'm gonna tell that you fucked a guy in your office who's not your husband and then i'm gonna call your husband Mm -hmm. and then she brings it up again and says it's insurance later she is a dis and this is not like a walter white's not the good guy of breaking bad but he is the main character he's an anti-hero that's just leah being a fucking prick
1: yeah like the thing is that she has literally zero redeeming qualities Literally zero.
0: We have not shown that she will go anywhere to get the Limetown scoop. This is episode eight, Leah going too far. Not episode five.
1: Yeah. At least with Walter White, he's like good at what he does. Like She's
0: not a good journalist.
1: No, (laughs) she isn't good at anything. Literally, the only reason she is receiving this story is because her family is relevant and she is the one... She's almost like a chosen one, and they're just delivering their stories unto her. She doesn't have to work for it.
0: You mentioned in our episode a year ago um, how Leah's DNA, like, I mentioned something about being bored of the fact that there's the chosen one narrative, and, like, I didn't hold on to the idea that Leah's still alive in season two, because I was like, great, she's dead, we don't have to deal with Emile being the keystone or whatever, because, like, she's Mm -hmm. related to Emile, and you mentioned, like, wouldn't it be interesting, though, if her genetics make her the woman we're all you didn't say this but like she's the woman we're all here for she's like better at this than emile is uh she just doesn't know it yet that's interesting and if you had played with that in limetown we're like i'm not saying make her tony stark good at her job but maybe it's maybe the thing is leah's a piece of shit but also if you put her in a room with someone who's emotionally like going through some shit she doesn't know she's reading their minds but she can ask the right question
1: Yes. So, like, and she's a really hoping. good
0: crime reporter. Like, she's right. really good at getting the right answers.
1: Right. Or maybe there's, maybe it's the case that even if there was a situation in which somebody like Emil was in the room, they still couldn't read her mind. Yeah. Like, maybe she has the, you know, like the uh, immunity to it or something. It could still go in that direction, and I would love if it would, but I don't have...
0: Especially things. with the show courting this idea that, despite the fact she doesn't see him after she's eight, when she was eight, she had this, like, really strong relationship with Emil, and they even hint at him having mental powers In uh, when he's shaving his head. Yeah. I, and I loved it because, like, you've seen enough movies that uh stanley tucci pulling out the medicine cabinet uh a uh, 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 door so that it turns the mirror so you can see her and he like he says it's just a cut no need to be worried and tells her to like come up like it's a charming little scene and you're like ah it's mm-hmm. stanley tucci being stanley tucci but if you mm-hmm. think back about it like she didn't make a noise like right he right. knew she was there because yes. he's Emil haddock he's the one he's right. the man we're all here for and I think that's that's the show trying to plant little seeds of you go back and watch it again and pick up all the things you didn't see. And that's my big problem with the show, because Limetown, the podcast, like I said a year ago, wants you to be taking notes because this mystery is so huge and so intertwined and you want to find all the little facets of it. the show also proposes that. But when you put the plot to any fucking scrutiny that is required when you take notes it falls apart
1: falls right apart and again with saying all of this i still really enjoy what i'm watching
0: i'm going to continue watching it
1: <laughs> yep i'm going to keep watching it um i i like it i like it i oh we should
0: probably touch on max
1: oh he was fine <laughs> like i don't he was okay um i wasn't that impressed
0: i was so mad they took out the tone thing
1: Yeah.
0: Him sitting down at that piano
1: Mm -hmm. and playing
0: the piano and not being like, this is what happiness sounds like. Yeah. And this is what frustration sounds like. Yeah. It's almost like they had that in the script and they did shoot it, but then cut it.
1: Yeah, that's kind of what it felt like. (sighs) I, I, I thought that the actor was good. He wasn't as charismatic as i would have liked i really loved
0: he didn't have that tony stark like swagger
1: yeah like i loved that like i'm a weird eccentric genius bastard that almost like he almost kind of had the feel of like um a neil degrasse tyson who i don't just want to punch oh
0: yeah you you you.
1: like you do want to punch him but not like immediately and he probably hasn't you know ever like assaulted a woman
0: max in the tv show kind of has that like the scientist who's gonna rattle off all this shit so that the dumb spike and then go do the thing.
1: Yeah, um, he's just like a little bit. He just didn't quite. He has like a like a fourteen in cha and not like an eighteen, you know. But yeah, I I thought that the actor was good. I thought the um it was fine.
0: I'm I'm worried about Elle. I'm worried about Lenore.
1: Same. Are they gonna? How? How gay are they gonna make? Me? How
0: how gay are they gonna I make me? I have standards,
1: me? and they better be met.
0: <laughs> Let's see. Hang on. I think Lenore's on the IMDb. Uh oh. Lenore was on the press release. There we go. Janet Kidder, known from Bride of Chucky and Ginger Snaps 2 Unleash.
1: Okay, she looks like she looks like Sharon Van Etten.
0: Yeah, I yeah I can see. I, it's hard to remember Lenore. uh because I I have Charlie in my head. I think I'm I think I'm conflating Charlie and Lenore in my memory. Um uh-huh. also, how was the end of season 2? Just in these closing Bad. moments.
1: <laughs> Bad. It was it was so there was like one beautiful monologue at the end that was performed so flawlessly surrounded by absolute garbage.
0: What are the <sighs> The mysteries of Limetown when you start are, what was happening at Limetown? Mm-hmm. Mind control. Who's the man we're all here for? Emil.
1: Emil. What happened to Oscar? Like, why was Oscar Totem burned at the stake?
0: We know Because everyone
1: went fucking bonkers.
0: How did 326 people disappear?
1: The government. The government. Slash capitalism. Which
0: is such bullshit. Say the caves. You know what I'm saying? Like, we... They set up this true crime thing of like, you, what are the little details? And then they hand wave it like ah, they ghosted him. Those mysteries are solved at the end of season one of the podcast yes. and probably yep. of the TV show. Uh-huh. I hope the TV show has the com- the sense to either go somewhere different in the season two.
1: Yeah. Because
0: like Jessica Biel is the face of Limetown. Like she's the executive right, producer. Right. Leah's on everything. I don't think they could cut her out of season two.
1: Yeah, I don't think so either.
0: So hopefully it's just this wonderful little package, and at the very end there's this heartfelt monologue from fucking Stanley Tucci, and (laughs) the end of the show is Stanley Tucci lighting a cigar and tipping a cocktail at the camera like, hey, and then...
1: (laughs) What if it's just him? What if it's him reprising the closing uh, Puck soliloquy from A Midsummer Night's (laughs) Dream? You know? Like, it's just... That it's literally just him doing that role again in that last soliloquy. no,
0: here it is. Here's the final scene of Limetown. Lights go down, mm-hmm. fade up. purple mm-hmm. hair, brightly colored suit. It's Caesar mm-hmm. Flickerman.
1: Oh great. Wonderful. attention okay.
0: citizens of Pan Am.
1: uh-huh
0: <laughs> The vile journalist by the name of <laughs> by the name of Leah Haddock is cornered in this building and our brave forces and then it cuts to that shot of the Hunger Games where they fake Katniss's death by shooting a building with a fucking rocket. And they're like, Leah Haddock is no more. Glory to Panem." And then it's just and it's just a shot of Caesar Flickerman smiling at the camera politely as the cameras and the credits go by. Lime Town. Lime Town.
1: Okay, I think with that. Yeah. We should close it out.
0: Will, where can people find you online?
1: People can find me on Twitter at That's w i l w underscore rights. So you can find me on Will Williams and a whole bunch of other places. Gavin, where can people find you online? People
0: can find me at the where I write such things as uh, six episodes of the uh, We Hate Movie Spooktacular that you want to li- that are really good. Um, that's not the title; it's much shorter. <laughs> um, you can also find me on discover pod sometimes where my review of limetown is either up or should be of soon question mark. I'm waiting on that one. It's much longer than Will's review for polygon, which is a really fucking good review of limetown, uh, which Thank I you. recommend you go read. And if you want to learn more about the show, dialed up podcast at wordpress.com where you can find transcripts of everything. Just give us time. <laughs> Yes, our our Patreon funds go towards paying to uh, get things transcribed. Thank you, Will, for talking Lime Town for an yeah, hour and a half you. with me.
1: <laughs> yeah, it's my favorite. <laughs>
0: <laughs> All right, and I think that'll do it. Yep. Bye. Where, where there's a lime, there's a town.
1: Oh God. <laughs>
0: Tis I, the credit pirate, sailing the seven citation seas. The music used in this episode was Parisian and One Eyed Maestro by Kevin McCloyd. Our introduction, sailor, th- that's. Th- right. You okay, babe? All right. You alright back there? Yeah, I get seasick. <laughs> ah, that's, that's. That's good, yes, ending from my fiance. Uh, ah. <laughs> alright. <laughs> Our, uh, our Our introduction sailor was once again fancy Ann.